Welcome back to Beers and Careers. I'm your host, Mark Agustinelli. As always, Beers and Careers is brought to you by the Davis Companies, www.daviscoes.com. That's D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com. Today's guest is Jonathan Nielsen. Um, John's a buddy uh, who I met uh, in town, but my favorite part about his career path and the conversation we had was he just shot it straight. It wasn't... um, I've, I hung up uh, with John. We did it virtually. And I remember just thinking to myself, man, that was like real unfiltered talk about his journey, uh, finding a, a career path that brought him to law school, and then ultimately really struggling to find a full-time gig after school for about eight years. And, uh, and it's all worked out for him. Um, and he shares how he kind of accomplished that goal. But uh, it was an excellent podcast um, He's a, he's a good man, and uh, I really hope you enjoy the conversation. So, Mr. John Nielsen, cheers on this cheers. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, non-alcoholic beers and careers, and uh, thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast, my man. I'm very excited. I've you know, watched a few of them, and I think it's really uh, interesting what you're doing. Just, uh, you know, there's everyone thinks that, ever, that career paths are n- normal yes. and are straightforward, and I think it's probably... Uh, you could probably speak best to this. That's probably uh, useful to people to hear that there's a different way to skin the cat. It, um, that was absolutely the inspiration for it. I will admit I'm baffled more people don't talk about it because I think it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on people leaving trade schools, high schools, colleges, grad school, looking for their next job. And, uh, you know, the vast majority of people that are happy, which is probably the best way to find success, ended up there. Not sometimes on purpose, but a lot of times um, through a nonlinear way. So, I mean, that's the best way. The circuitous route has been the way to go. So, I mean, I, I'm pretty pumped to talk to you and kind of share a lot of your story because I think in the beginning, from what I understand about it, certainly didn't know you wanted to go to law school the whole way. Um, but before we do that, we do have a rapid fire round. I'd love to get through just to have people know you. Now, John and I met, we met at the gym, right? Yeah. We met at the gym. I, I get that confused because not only did John and I meet at the gym, we then worked in the same building together for like four years after, <laughs> or two years, after, two or three years after that. So and I'd see you there too. So it's like, man, where, how do I know him again? Um, but I see you at the gym mainly today. But Mr. John Nielsen, what is your favorite cocktail? <laughs> the, the the go-to one is the uh, Dark and Stormy. Okay. Very nice. First, yeah. I think you're the first Dark and Stormy lover on the podcast. Well, I, I, I try I try to come with something a little bit different. Everyone's got their own own way yeah. of doing it. So, uh, yeah, that's Switch, uh, that's me. Switching it up. I love it. Now, are you a, do you have a favorite curse word? Uh, I, I use a whole bunch of them. It depends on the, on the, on the scenario, but, uh, I'm glad you, you, you know, the, you said a few prep questions. I had to really think about that one. I think the one that I find myself using often is like maybe only half a curse. Okay. But it's something I borrow from my college roommates. Holy hell. Holy hell. All right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. You, know, you get one of those emails where someone says, well, I just did this. Is that a problem? Holy hell. You've got to be kidding me. Yes. Or you're in traffic and someone in front of you is not going the speed you want them to. And you're like, holy hell, can you please just do something other than be in front of me? Especially with a child in the backseat. 
Yes. Well, that's when you have to choose your words better. Yes, you do. You do. <laughs> well, th- those are very appropriate. I love it. Now, what is your? Do you have a favorite guilty pleasure? As the audience gets to know you. Yeah, um, I've found the story. It's actually a, a healthy guilty pleasure. The the guiltiness is in quantity. Okay. So like, uh, popcorn chips. They're you know it's like three ingredients. They're really easy. But if I had to be very careful, if I had come home at the end of the day, I open the bag, half it could be gone in like a minute. Mm, that's your jam. You know, it, it, it's, it's just really too easy to eat. So sometimes you have to, uh, the willpower has to come and play even when you come home. Yes. No, I, I dig it. I dig it. Now, are you a quote guy? Like, do you have a favorite quote? I do. I've always got a few kind of rambling around my head. I've read a lot, but there's, there's two that uh, I, I find myself coming back to often. Okay. Uh, one is uh, there is no knowledge that is not power mm-hmm. by Emerson. Yep. Um, and then the other one is above all else to thine own self be true. Shakespeare. Mm. Yeah. Timeless. Two, yeah. two, two uh, serious writers <laughs> and authors too. I mean, it's not. Let's not a. Let's uh, not a. Those are. Those are timeless, my man. Yeah, no, I just uh, they've, they've come up in different contexts and they've always seemed to well, ring true for me in a wide variety of uh, you know scenarios. So I just it's like every time I come back, yep, that, that still works. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself quoting the Shakespeare one while you're making difficult decisions, or it, or is it like when you're maybe having a difficult day? Like, well, why does that one come back around? Because that's that one I uh, the Emerson one I love because. I also love chasing knowledge, like just in general, it's such a good reason to. But the being true to yourself is uh, that can be pretty challenging. <laughs> well, it, it's uh, I remember reading about it probably either in high school or early uh, college, but it started cementing itself when uh, one of my college roommates, when he was moving out, he gave me uh, a conch shell that he had, and just because I have a let's say a very unique personality. <laughs> uh, he wrote that on the conch shell and just, you know, wanted to be like, whatever I'm going to be, just be myself, mm-hmm. no matter how weird that is. And I think that uh, in every single context and social group I've ever been in, I've always been the weird one. Right, right. And, but but do, you feel, do you feel like that was something that was a problem in high school and college and now it's like, like how has that evolved for you? No, it, it's, it's a reaffirmation. So you, okay. you, in general, when I try and make a decision, you know, work, career, anything else wise, um, I try and make it based on the best available information that you have at the time. Mm-hmm. You're never going to make perfect decisions. You know, no, one, no one's a mind reader. No one's amazing Kreskin. Yes. But if I stay true to myself in terms of what I think is appropriate, important and valuable, more often than not, I'll end up with a positive result for me. Mm. I uh- that makes a lot of sense. And I always say Nielsen because I read your name. It's Nielsen, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it's been, you go purely phonetically. I mean, if, you know, if there's so many uh, permutations of the spelling and pronunciation. It's not, you know. Yeah. Well, you're talking yeah. to an Augustinelli, so you're preaching to the choir, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sure, people toss in, you know, vowels, consonants, and everything else. And, and whole other phrases to a degree. I love that quote, though, because I think that, um, for me, I guess the, what resonated about your quote for me was I found in high school and college, and I would even say like, I think maybe up until really having children, 
uh, maybe this is a, a, a fatal flaw of being a sales professional is you just want to be liked. And so being weird was, was weird. And then now that I've like got kids and you, I, I think the timing of having children is more like the worldview and being exposed to more things is, is really more the timing than the actual event of having children. But now it's like, I was saying to my wife, I'm like, who isn't weird? Like, I don't know anyone who isn't weird if, when you get to know them, you know what I mean? And then I think it just gives you the power to be like, I don't give a, I don't give a shit what people think of me at this point, you know? Yep. And, and that's actually, it's, it wasn't the reason for that, but it's kind of, it actually, that concept aids me actually in being, I feel a good impartial attorney. I'm mm-hmm. making decisions, not because I'm waiting for someone to like me. I yes. certainly am. I'm a lawyer and quite frankly, I'm a, I'm a Yankees fan in Red Sox country. I'm not waiting for someone to like me. Right, right. I, I, I didn't know how long it was going to take to get into that. A lawyer, <laughs> a lawyer in Red Sox country who's a Yankee fan. John, we're trying to get people to listen to the show. Tuning <laughs> <laughs> out. Um, now, I, and before we, before we move on, I do need to know what was your first job. All right, there's the first actual job, job, and then there's the first like real like adult job. Yeah, we'll go. I want your first actual time you got paid to do a product or service. Paper route. Nice. Paper route in high school, and you know it, it, it sucked. And it's still it's still a reason why my, my least favorite weather is cold, damp rain, because that was just about the worst thing. At least if it was snow, you know you weren't getting soaked. Yeah. But going around having to work every day of the week, and the only time you take off is the time when you get someone else to do your job for you. But other than that, you're on call and it's it's you. Yep, seven days a week, and I'm guessing that was somewhere in New York as a Yankees fan. Yep, I was uh, su- suburbs of New York and just in my uh, my little hometown in Westchester County, and so I had my uh, you know my bike with a little rack or the uh, the, the over the shoulder bag, so that 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 was a good way to just walk around and carry around a, a bit of weight, yep. including the Sunday papers which we had to assemble ourselves. Uh, with all those inserts and stuff. So that was a whole lot of suck. That is, that's, uh, it's wild because, um, well, two things. Where, where in Westchester County? A small little town called Pelham. It's actually about, probably the scope. It's about the same population size as Hopkinton. Okay. But it's actually, it's kind of nestled in between three big, uh, three cities, between the Bronx, New Rochelle, and Mount Vernon. Okay. Very cool. I was going to say, my, the Westchester County I know is, uh, John Jay High School and Yorktown, that that lacrosse hospital, hotbed. So I'm I'm a little further away, aren't I? Yeah, you're a little further away than that. I think I think I, I did also play high, uh, lacrosse in high school. I don't think we were good enough to to play schools like that. Oh, okay, all right. Hey, no worries. Now I, the one thing I think that's hilarious about your paper route is um, you complained at the time probably about getting up in the cold rain with a heavy bag on your shoulder. And I met you at the gym at 4:45 a.m. willingly in the rain, lifting weights. It's just that's pretty. Just I just want to point that point out. It's amazing what happens when you have to do it versus you want to do it. Oh yeah, exactly. It's all about uh, motivation. And uh, well, you know, maybe maybe I wouldn't have gotten up at 4:45 in the morning if I already didn't, uh, you know, deal with something. That, you know, I had to do something in order to get paid and you know make money do for the things I want. So if I didn't yeah. already have that discipline early on. Maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I wouldn't be people who would be going, you know, at lunch or at night. Yeah, I know. I think I think there's probably something that went on on the wiring of your brain uh, that that made it happen. So I'm interested to dive in here. You 
graduated from high school, you go to college. You said, from what I understand from the notes you kind of gave me when we were talking about your background and, and why it might be a great fit to have you on, you were there for engineering, but then switched to philosophy and psychology. And like, talk to me about that. Like you went, into, I'm guessing like most kids, you went to college not knowing what you wanted to do or did you, did you know? I had an idea. My, my dad was actually uh, graduated in civil engineering from Northeastern. Oh, cool. All right. So, and I was, I was, I was, I was respectable in math and science in high school. So like, all right, dad's like, well, these, you know, these are skills that you are good at. Right. This is a career path that might make sense for the skills that you're good at. Okay, so I, you know, go to go to college. I was going to be, I think, a mechanical and aerospace engineer. I was going to really just go all in. And then I get there, and I discovered that I don't like math, science, or computers. Mm, or, it's going to be a tough. Specifically, set. when I got into some of the more advanced stuff, I'm like, I am not spending my time trying to figure out what the pressure is on a window half submerged in water. I'm, right. I'm, I'm out. Right. Right. So that was so that was and this is like freshman year or sophomore year. Yeah, this is yeah, it was freshman year. So I you know was right yeah. in like this isn't this isn't for me. I'd already been I'd already been taking some philosophy and psychology courses. I liked them and was good at them. Okay. So went along with that, but then you're like, well, what can you do with a philosophy and psychology degree? Get another degree. Mm. Or do something else. You can't just sit on that unless you're gonna teach. So then I'm like, what can I do? One of my college roommates who did know what he was doing, he wanted to be, he was going to law school. He's like, well, you know, come on, come with me to one of these, one of these, uh, fairs, career fairs for law school and check it out. I'm like, all right. And I said, all right, uh, you know, this seems interesting. This seems like a practical application of philosophy. All right. Apply to law school. Uh, got rejected from four, waitlisted on two and got into one of them on the last second, one that brought me here to Boston, Suffolk Law. Mm. So I'm like, I was just barely in law school and I get there and I said, okay, this is making sense for me. I'm, you know, I'm doing decently well. I get interested in a kind of law, intellectual property that focuses on math, science, computers. Yeah. So I'm like, well, uh, and then I had actually had a law professor basically tell me that without that kind of technical background, I probably was not going to be successful in that part of law. So, you know, that didn't stop me. I still got involved in various things. So I, it's always been an interest of mine. Um, but, you know, I didn't always have the most support for that scope. Mm-hmm. So then go through that, graduate from law school in 2000, right as the dot-com bubble burst. Yes. And in a town like Boston, where there's already an oversaturation of lawyers from all the law schools, now it has a whole bunch of unemployed lawyers competing for the few jobs remain. Mm-hmm. So the recent graduate got no love. Mm. And so that basically ultimately led to me to approximately, you know, eight to nine years of legal temping, mm. which really okay. wasn't the arc I was thinking of. Yeah. 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 Right. So you're working for companies like mine at Davis, uh, on different assignments and you did that for almost a decade. Yep. Yeah. Just about that. I mean, a few of the assignments did last a, a while. I think I've won that last like a, a year and a half, um, a couple other ones, but that really wasn't what I was thinking of. And I tried to do some, you know, uh, you know, hang my own shingle a little bit on the, you know, on the side, a couple of little clients, but you know, not much. And, you know, again, I didn't always get support from some, a couple of colleagues who say, well, you're temping. That's not real legal experience. You're probably hurting your career. Right. Don't, don't expect too much. And, you know, it's after that amount of time, I, I tried to stay patient, but it, it got, did get a little discouraging and, uh, at times. And then, um, you know, still have my resume out there. And then I got a call from a headhunter representing a company who was looking for 
their first in-house counsel in a long time. Mm. He actually kind of coached me through the process, helped me, you know, sell myself. And I got that job. The interesting thing was it was right about this as they were actually giving me the offer in which they basically told me I was going to be the only lawyer in the public company and that the legal department, the guy who was there before, who was a longtime employee there, when he asked for help, he was expecting an admin. Mm. So they hired me and didn't tell him about me until they hired me. Whoa. So that was, uh, that was a curious first few weeks. And he was, uh, we ended up getting along. So it turns out we were, at the time we were beer snobs. So okay. we wanted the beer, bring it back to the beer, you know, beers and right. careers. Yes. But, uh, that was, uh, that was, it was an interesting thing. And it was, uh, curious because I was, I was, everyone always tells himself, I just need that one shot. I know I could do this. Just give me that chance. And now someone gave me the chance, but I was, it was you're getting thrown into the fire. Mm. So, uh, it was, I knew I wanted it, but I was scared beyond belief. Wow. That's, that's what a wild turn of events. It sounds like you were pretty discouraged, but resilient in those eight to nine years. Cause that's a pretty long time. I mean, like if that was a one, you were temping when the economy, like, started to come back and then oh eight was terrible again yeah no i i got that job in oh nine um so yeah it was, it was it was a good long time and it was what got me through that was the resiliency that you mentioned was basically i was i go i was on inter- informational interview with uh some some people i knew in a small law firm okay and i'm just trying to you know make the connections net do some networking and the advice they gave me, which I try and pass on to people now because it was completely uh, valid, was that uh, don't tr- necessarily try and get the jo- your dream job right away. Think about what it is you want and try and get some kind of list of all the skills, sticks in a bundle that mm-hmm. would make up that job. And then everywhere you go, try and grab another stick. Try mm-hmm. and develop your skills little bit by little bit. So that when you happen to get the opportunity, you've already got a bunch of it together. You try and go all, all in, it's going to be tough to get that. Right. But right. if if you make the most of where you are and pick up knowledge mm-hmm. in any form, wherever you go, then at some point you'll have collected something. And I, it turns out I had enough put together and actually some of those legal temping jobs supporting litigation – Ended up helping in when I was in that role because there was a, a couple of uh, litigation that we had to deal with. And all of a sudden, they said, well, we can have the law firm take care of it all, but then it's a big chargeable event. Or I could take all the things I learned from being on the other side of it and leverage that into running as much of it in-house as I could. That, so your peers at those temping jobs were wrong. Your experience did pay off. There were, and it wasn't everyone. I know a few people I've, I attempt with who are now in full-time legal careers, and they've also done well. But there's a few people who, uh, you know, they're the naysayers. They had a different perspective on life, and they were probably they, they had they probably had their own issues to deal with, and they were just kind of a uh, casting shade wherever they could. Mm. We're, we're masters of our own destiny, huh? Yeah, exactly. And then also comes, you know, if if you don't take other people's these bad opinions too much to heart, you can be resilient. Yes. Yeah. You can only compare yourself against yourself. Don't worry about what they're doing. Right. Where well, am I better than I was yesterday kind of mentality. 
So you get to that job where you're the first lawyer or the first in-house counsel. What, like, are you sitting there in month one? Like, uh, why did I do this? What am I doing? I'm on an island. Like, how was that? <laughs> uh, they, 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 they threw me right in. I mean, I only started off as just the contracts attorney. So they would get some transactions in and through then. But over the course of time, when I, you know, I thought I was just making the things up. Um, and trying to go crazy. And we, we did have an outside counsel law firm who, for more complicated things, I could go to. Right. But I try and keep it, you know, try and keep the legal spend lower. But I would just all of a sudden learn and then pay attention to the business people who had enough experience generally negotiating things that they knew, you know, kind of what to do. They just didn't know all the, the nuances that the lawyer uh, trained to do would do that. So then I started realizing if I'm still making the correct decisions and it's, paying off and I'm getting support on these things, you know, apart from the salespeople who just don't want anything. Don't, don't want the lawyers to get away. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I would not know anything about that. But it, it, it kept coming back that things were being successful. Actually, I've, early on in my, uh, in within the first couple of months of the job, uh, I was able to get a, a settlement that my boss, uh, the COO of the company jokingly referenced, well, you just paid off for your, your first year salary. Now what are you going to do? Right, right, yeah, but it, may, it makes it makes a big difference. I, that's that's wild. I can imagine that being a bit daunting, especially especially. I mean, as a staffing person, hearing I was like happy to hear that your temp jobs were beneficial to your career, but then I was also happy to hear that like you were working with an awesome headhunter who helped move you through the process. Right, like the coaching aspect of that, I think, is often overlooked. In that scenario, because I think sometimes uh, there's so many good, talented people out there that aren't, they're just not, they don't practice selling themselves because it's not part of their core day to day. And it, it's a, it's its own unique talent. It's funny. Daniel Pink is a favorite author of mine. He's got a book to sell as human. And he makes the point that like everyone's in sales. Like you just, it just, do you pay, do you pay your bills with it or not is a different question. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was kind of cool to hear, but then like, I just can't imagine going in there and being like, man, I thought this was going to happen. And the person that you're in their department thought you were an admin, like what a, what a cluster of a start. Oh yeah. I, during the interview process, the, the, the fellow, he was, uh, described to me as like, well, this guy, like he's an SOB, but he's our SOB. Yeah. And I'm like, terrific. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. Sign me up. Sign yeah. So, me up. And, and, but the, the useful thing, I mean, it was the, you know, throw you three into the fire, but it was a small company, even though it was public and in the solar industry, um, which I wasn't really looking for as a specific career arc. I'm like, all right, well, it's the job I have. It's the opportunity I have. Let's make the most of it. Yeah. But small company, as I showed that I was competent, I knew what I was doing, more and more people just kept bringing me more stuff. Mm. I'm like, all right, well, you can, you're your lawyer. It's great to have one here. Can you look at this? Yeah. Can you look at this? And as I just tried to be, I just tried to approach it the only way I knew how, which is reasonable, fair, even-handed, do my job, and approachable. And the people would just actually bring things to me that I might not otherwise know. Mm. Mm -hmm. They might have kept it from, you know, lawyers they didn't like. Right. I wasn't trying to be light. I was just trying to be professional. But I, it, in my mind, being a good lawyer is 
trying to be the partner in the situation. Yeah. I, I can be the, you know, as they joke sometimes, I don't, I could I be the vice president of sales prevention. Right. Right. Or right. I could actually say, well, instead of doing this, let's go over this path. This is an approved path. Let me help you solve your problem. And then I can mitigate risk by steering it this way and not that way, as opposed to just saying, no, no, no. And it's not solving anything. Right. So you, you did try to approach things not through a black and white lens, really, is what I'm hearing. Exactly. I mean, there, there's a lot of different ways to uh, to approach it. I know there are other folks in my profession who either do or at least have the stereotype reputation of being these table-thumping, red-in-the-face, my-way-or-the-highway kind of ways. And, you know, they don't – I don't think that they do their client service, do good mm-hmm. service. And – I try and find if, if they want to have uh, language in a certain path, for some reason that's meaningful to them. Like, all right, I know what they're getting at. If I give them these words, they think they've won. As long as I can steer the other things this way, then we can all win. Right. Tell them they won. Maybe I tell them they won, but let's find a way that we can all win. If they're going to be difficult about this, let's be carefully tailored with the language so that we can all get what we need. Yes. That's why salespeople and lawyers don't get along. We're not too big on details. Like, uh, my, I hope my CFO doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, Mark, come on. No, I'm getting better, Joe, I promise. Um, so you were there for a while, and then you ended up leaving. Anything that was the reason you jumped? Well, it was a small company, and certainly it was uh, you know clear that they were having – Financial uh, difficulties, the the economics of the industry were changing, and the company was small enough that it was very difficult for it to adapt mm. to changing economics. So, and you know, it was causing some uh, some furloughs mm. uh, times. So I'm like, all right, I think it's time to to really be looking elsewhere. And then I saw an opportunity for a company that at the time was headquartered out of Watertown, yes, with, uh, the satellite office in Marlboro, yes, and. Uh, and I said, okay, well, I don't know anything about, you know, the engineering or utility industry, but there are some overlaps there. And it looks like, you know, they're part of a public company. They'd only have one lawyer in the company. It was only a little bit larger than what I was coming from. So I'm like, I have a feeling this might not be too bad for me. Mm. And the, the curious thing is that much like when I started off with the prior company, you know, I was only starting off as just the contracts attorney. There's just a limited scope. But I had a feeling that they, from what I knew about them, that it would I would take the same approach that seemed to work, mm-hmm. which was actually an interesting thing. Because I knew my stuff worked for that one scenario, that one company, but they had a unique style. So I wasn't sure if my style was just that one company for a small company or if it actually played out and could be extrapolated. Ah, okay. So I was, a little nerv- I was a little nervous. I'm like, is this going to work again? Yes. You know, I think it does, but I've only seen one sample set. And did you what were you gravitated? What what made you gravitate to the small company? Was it comfort zone, applicability, or like opportunity at the time? Like was there was there a particular reason you did that? The opportunity that was available. It, it's, okay. you know, it's funny. I wasn't you know I didn't have this uh, uh, palette of choices. Yeah, I, I found something that you know that wasn't a worse commute that I already had. Mm-hmm. And you know it matched up with a few other things, and but uh, really it was only it was the opportunity that was available at the time. So I said, all right, I'll take this. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, that's real talk, right? Like, I think that's the uh, – do you like what you do every day? Yes. Yeah. I am genuinely satisfied. Not just satisfied, like I'm okay satisfied. It's like this job brings me a lot of satisfaction. Fulfillment. Absolutely. Fulfillment. But it's interesting because I think sometimes um, we often hear people be like, well, the commute's shorter, so I took the opportunity. You just said I didn't have a palette of options. But at the same time, like, you're not looking for a new job every day. No, absolutely not. And, you know, it's the scenario that people really helps. But I think what I'm finding that is working for me is that the small to medium companies where they don't have a lot of resources, they're trying to make do with what they have, um, is useful because then people need to be a little more clever, a little more creative. Mm. And then I get essentially to be creative. Mm. And something that my, my boss at the previous company, uh, Spire, had told me several times and he was absolutely correct. And after I left the company, I would stay in touch with him a little bit. And I'd said, you're absolutely right on this. His words were me to me are because it was such a small company. It was doing so much. You are learning a shitload here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, if you're if someone to follow the normal career arc mm. and just go into the big law firm or a big company, probably get stuck doing one kind of transaction or one and- little thing. And you become an expert in just that. Yeah. As opposed to the breath. It's, um, I feel like the more things you get exposed to also, I mean, I think that's part of the fulfillment for people. I think there is a little bit of a, uh, it's funny hearing you talk, this will talk a lot of what you're saying resonates for like my own journey. I think I, I might've referred to it on a different podcast. I forget who I was talking to, but how like, I ended up at a small college and like, I don't know if I was super self-aware at the time, but I just felt more comfortable there than at the big university with 300 people in every class kind of thing. And then it's just like funny that I ended up at a smaller business that has a hundred internal employees, but lets me go, you know, horizontally across job scope. I mean, you know, job descriptions in a small business are borderline hilarious. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, um, but you can't tell people that who aren't in them, right? Because we're competing against companies that are Fortune 1000 for talent who are very regimented. And I just, uh, it's cool. It's cool hearing you talk so honestly about like, yeah, man, I'm a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer. There aren't a shitload of jobs available, but also like, I don't need a shitload of jobs. I just need to find one that's going to give me autonomy. And probably the ability to be creative sounds like it's certainly a big deal for you. It, it is. And the, the fortune in this scenario, the current job, is that our, our parent company, they do have a, a small legal staff. And cool. things are big. If there's a you know very significant project or a certain you know top-level things, that's, that's for them to handle. But also with them, and I have a good relationship with them, is that I've shown that I am doing things right. They like the way I do it. So for the most part, they let me do it. Yeah, can. And then but then I also have people that I can bounce things off of and do sanity checks on things just to make sure like because, you know, we're all learning every day. And just because you knew something yesterday, you know, you you think like, well, am I I insane with this one? Am I approaching this wrong way? It makes sense to me. But someone's telling me, no, let me check with someone. Mm. And so it's, it's a wonderful dynamic to have that. But then still basically 
you know, the day to day, it's, it's, it's just me and I have to make, you know, sensible decisions and then talk with the business folk and say like, look, this is the way I'm thinking about this. Is this going to match the deliverables you're looking for? Are we both getting the things we need for our scopes? Mm, yes. Right. Alignment, alignment, alignment. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, do you, would you have done anything differently along the way? <laughs> Uh, depends whether you ask me while I'm in the middle of it or now. Fair. I'm asking, I want to know from a calm, cool and collected. I like where I am. Therefore, I think all the decisions that I made, whether I liked them at not at the time or not, whether they were comfortable at the time or not have resulted in the scenario where I like where I am. Yeah. So, you know, there are, you know, 10 for nine years wasn't the best, you know, there's a lot of self doubt and, uh, self, uh, questioning but i think perhaps it taught you know i don't think i was necessarily needing a lesson in humility but i got it Mm -hmm. um and it forced me to take a different perspective and i think that may have helped me be where i am and be uh, a better communicator Mm. so uh, i let i don't i don't regret anything i don't wouldn't change anything except if you ask me in the middle of it right Right. Yeah. That, it's, I mean, that's it's also like I appreciate the fact that that's also kind of a shitty question. It's like if someone's asked me what do I regret, it's like, well, I regret not buying Bitcoin when it was a dollar. Right. Like, I mean, those are like, <laughs> right. Like those are opportunities that come you pass you by. I think in the job sense, it's different. Do you find yourself almost creating an, an, uh, an unexpected or unintentional niche for the community you serve. I mean, this will kind of be your second manufacturing company. Uh, I know Spire is a little different. I, it's funny. I didn't know the solar company, but you referenced it. I know exactly who it is. I know exactly where it was just because that's, I'm, I'm responsible for knowing that industry right up and down 495 and 128, but it's almost like that small company manufacturing, complex manufacturing that's done in Massachusetts, not the kind of that's shipped overseas. Like, are you kind of forming a, a niche within that? Would you say? I've 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 been wondering about that. It's you know again it's it's not intentional, but there there are a lot of parallels between the companies I've noted for a long time, mm. and I think that there is my familiarity my bleh, my familiarity. I can't even speak. That's why we're just root beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tuesday, John. It's Tuesday. Yeah. Being used to a lot of the terms and standards across these industries, it is useful. But the, the, the neat thing is that for some of the companies and the scopes of work that these, these jobs involve, they are useful. They are transportable across a lot of different industries. Yeah. So even though there is a certain niche and, you know, you know, maybe I'll stay with uh, Dole Forever. Maybe I, maybe I won't. Who knows what the future will bring? But I think some of these skills are transportable across different industries because I noticed that, you know, certain degree, legal terms are legal terms. The lawyers yeah. always argue about the liability, the insurance, you know, who owns what, right? And things like that. If you know how to talk with the other people, and you know, at a certain point, stop trading the the, the track change emails. Yes. And, you know, on the phone, we all know what we're trying to do. Look, I want to do this. I want that. Is this a stopping point or not? Right. You know, and if and if basically we just have 
you don't have aligned business interest, then it's no one's fault. Right. Let's just have a conversation and figure out can we move forward or not, and then we can just move on the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. So I I think this could be a niche. I think there's I certainly I think Boston has a bunch of industries like this. Um so and I, I think there's a usefulness in it. But at the same time, I think that this kind of skill set, this kind of uh, general legal counseling, uh, can play out in almost any scenario. Mm-hmm. And did, did, mm, I, it's funny. I didn't think about the dot-com bubble affecting, like, the amount of lawyers looking for work. And when I graduated in 08, it was this exact same thing. Lawyers looking for work. Why are there so many lawyers, John? Well, we got uh, Harvard, BU, BC, Suffolk, New England School of Law, Western New England School of Law, and that's just in Massachusetts. And then you've got, uh, you know, people like coming to Boston. Yeah. You've also got the, you know, Yale just one state down. So there, there is just a lot of law schools pumping mm. people out, and you know, people come to Boston. They love the area. I was gonna say you didn't leave. I, I really didn't. I, you know, I, I, I came here in '97. And I've, I've, I've stayed the entire time. I just changed my sports allegiances. Yeah. Did, <laughs> did you, did you ever think about going back home? Yeah. Honestly, you know, in the middle of, you know, uh, you know, all the tenting, I'm like, yeah, well, is, is this really working out for me? Right. And you know, is, is, is there another opportunity somewhere else? I didn't really want to relocate. I had a lot of, you know, friends, connections and stuff. And I you know, developed a lot of things here, but you die in the vine. Yeah. You have to be honest with yourself. It's like, you know, you know, I know, you know, there are some people, especially who were in a similar scenario to me that, you know, but they refused to temp. They felt that was, that's not what they went to law school for. So then they went to bartending. Mm. And I, I, maybe that was one differentiator was that if you have too, out too high opinion of yourself, too much, too much ego getting in the way, you can close off opportunities that you should be able to make use of. Yes. I, you, you talked about the advice you give people is to pick up a stick along the way, you know, to, for the bundle. And I, I think that's really great advice. But I, the advice I often give people is if it's tangential or it's related to the work you want to do, just get in. Like, it's funny, um, probably not a surprise to people, but uh, the Joe Rogan podcast certainly had an influence on the fact that I was like, man, I learned a lot from this person's podcast. How can I bring things that I know to other people and help out? Right. Like that was another part of the inspiration for it. I found the, one of the most recent ones I was listening to, I found out, I think he said for over a year or a year and a half, he did UFC commentary for free. Really? Just to do it. Just be, and at one point he told him, I don't want to do it anymore. He was just interviewing fighters. And he said, um, you know, it got old. It got tiring. I wasn't making enough money, so I said no. And Dana White and that company that owns them bought bought the UFC. And Dana Brown with dinner was like, what do you think about doing commentary? And convinced him to do it. He was like, I'll fly you out. You get to watch every flight front row doing commentary. He was like, sure. And he did it for a year. He said, I think a year and a half for free. And now, I mean, he's making like a zillion dollars. But like, <laughs> but I think the premise, it's easy to use a celebrity, right, for that premise. But I think... Your your episode, your realization and the humility of temping, so to speak, as as you put it, was more just like, no, I'm not too proud to just 
roll up my sleeves and do some work that is less than glamorous because I've got my eyes on a bigger prize. And it's that's a hard thing, I think, for a lot of people right out of school, though. There's like a entitlement that comes with your JD. Yeah. And there are certainly people who had entitlement. I would call them issues. They, you know, they they felt, well, I've got your I got student debt or I've got this. Or I work so hard. You know, that, you know, whether it's beneath me or I didn't, you know, this or that. And it's just like, you know, if you keep sticking with it, yes. Yeah. You know, temping over here, it doesn't feel like it connects. If, you, if you're spending all day just sifting through documents and emails, it doesn't feel like it, it, that you can reach out and touch your career. Yeah. But it depends. I think it's to a certain degree not what the work you're doing, but can you find something in there? That you're learning. I mean, I, I spent several years doing nothing, you know, like 10 hours a day of reading someone else's emails, mm. you know, a lot of, you know, drudgery. But what it made me appreciate is when you're going into litigation, how much stuff gets pulled in there. Do you really want your stuff to get pulled into litigation and someone else looking through all your stuff, whether it's work or sometimes it gets, you know, some of the personal stuff gets, gets pulled in there mm. and, you know, I've had to read some of that stuff. And then you also, um, through some of the, if you get involved in some of the bigger piece of litigation, you get that kind of like peeking behind the curtain of certain industries. Mm. That there's no other way you would see whatever is that, that particular perspective mm-hmm. that's going on. And then in, sometimes in, the, in I was involved with several larger pieces of litigation that were so complex that there were whole teams. I think in one piece we actually took over an entire floor of a law firm. And actually, there are still some people from that case uh, who were also temping that we still kind of keep this in, you know, informal alumni. Yeah. We would, you know, and to kind of pull it back to these times where we're all trying to get back to the office a little bit. Yeah. We had that connection because we would, you know, after work, then we'd go out to bar trivia or yeah. do something else like that. We maintain the personal connection. And then even as we've gone on our own careers, we still keep in touch because there was that great personal connection while we're working so hard. And if we were all entirely remote and only saw each other by phone or video, it wouldn't be there. Never a chance. I, the more I talk to people inside my company, but also outside of our, our organization and folks like you, I think in, in a short order and by short order, I don't know if that's 2022 or 2023 or maybe a little longer. I think things will really be back to a, a mostly normal situation. I think what will have changed from the pandemic and how we work from home is that just flexibility. You know, I'm only working a few hours today. Yeah, I'm just going to plug in from home. But I think the core and the vast majority of folks will come back into the office because we're starting to see people trickle back in. And at the end of the day, like, oh, that was awesome. Good seeing you. Like, I want to grab a beer. And I think those networks are so important to your job search and to like your career and like, I mean, how many people do you need? You probably need people in your profession to bounce ideas off of that don't know your situation. You know, that, but they, you can't always lean on a legal team at corporate. It's like you got to go out to someone else. And I think those people are invaluable to your career. And those networks will be very hard to build. Not impossible, but very hard to build virtually. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, you know as you're going around in your career, you know, we're not where we were 20, 30 years ago where you, you're in one job for 30 years. Right. You know, you never know when you're going to need that reference, mm-hmm. that person to either, you know, give you the insight to uh, to a job lead or, you know, uh, give you some guidance on that. 
And if everyone is fully remote, you don't have that personal connection where someone wants to do that for you mm. or you want to do that for someone else. If everything is just like, I need this uh, email answer within a couple of days and you, know, you do that back and forth, what connection in there makes you interested in being a part of that person's life and development? Right. Right. What's the motivation behind it? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, when people talk about companies and their cultures, is this a culture fit? Do I want to be part of this company's culture? The culture only happens, you know, by the water cooler conversations. Talking sports as you pass someone in the, in the, in the hallway, no one's setting up a meeting to talk about what the Red Sox did last night. Right. And, and they're in first place, John, just so you know. That's- <laughs> I mean, you walk right into that one. I know, that's and it is May 11th, so I probably shouldn't have said that. But uh, we are in first place. What has has there any been any part? And I just kind of thought of this because it's like it's crazy how your job does change the way in which you go about life. Has there been anything like good or bad that becoming a lawyer has changed about the way you interact with the rest of the world when you don't when you're not at work? Hmm. Not too much. I do tend to find myself just naturally in any conversation, bringing in those 25 cent words and people look at me like, really, you're, you're using that. Like we're all hanging out here in the bar and you're using like plethora. Yeah. Yeah. And and even going back, I I had a feeling of that when I first looked at law school, when I was going into law school, that my mind was already starting to shift. I remember seeing a movie. Uh, can't remember what it is at the time, but there's, there's some scenario where there's two people were trying to negotiate back and forth about like some life choice and someone signed us something. I'm like, that's a binding contract. Yes. There's they, they offer and there's consideration. They're stuck. And the person looked next to me in the, in the movie here looked like, you've got issues. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, yes, like, I know. Weird. Yes, I know. I'm weird. Leave me. Leave me alone. That's too funny. That yeah. is too funny. I, John, I feel like this conversation is really helpful for people who are feel like maybe they don't have options as you described them, but can still find fulfillment. But also, like, I think you're, you're another example of I think finding your passion is a little corny. It, it's like hard to like resonate, but you found things that you were interested in. You took chances and you listened to people. Right. It's like philosophy and psychology was like you like you clearly like to read right like and and that brought you down that path and how could you leverage those skills you're aware of it and then you got into law and you're like i want ip but it's like no no no. you can do that but you can't crush it in ip here are the ways you can apply it so i think it's another example of like there's a lot of signs out there are you paying attention to them as a as a as a someone moving their career forward but just Looking for opportunity. Exactly. And and I think it's also useful to don't take a, a literal linear view about the career progression mm. that, yes, it's straightforward. That's what everyone talks about when counsel is going forward. That's, you know, this follows, this follows that. But I think some of the skills like even the, the philosophy and psychology, they've been an indirect help. Think yeah. of sometimes bringing some of these skill sets, these sticks in. Uh, and advance your career diagonally. Mm. You can you can move forward sometimes by making a lateral, making yeah. move over here. Or you know, if you say, you know, lawyers are you thinking about just the words and the mm. discussion, the argument. But in my mind, there is a 
unstated psychology behind the phrasing. Can I play with these words and make them dance mm-hmm. to still achieve this thing? I know what, th- what people are thinking of. Can I make these words you know, get like this? Or can I be on the call and can I bring, my, bring an approach in my personality instead of coming at somebody yes. and being aggressive? Can I dictate the conversation by being a, a normal human being? And taking pride and ego out of it, and let's just fi- try and find a way to get this done. Yeah. Or, yeah. and can I think? Can I bring in skill sets like spreadsheets, which you don't normally think of for lawyers, but in the business of being a lawyer, or if you're handling staff, and we're in a metrics society more and more. Right. If you come in with a skill set like that, say, well, I can't. You know, maybe I'm only okay over here, but I can help manage this stuff over here. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you bring you bring a different value to yourself. And the organization, they perceive it differently. Yeah, you're 100% right. It's a uh, it's interesting because I think it's it's so funny how people want things to be that linear time, and then like even if you if you look at the time in between the parentheses of that linear career path, it's like that also looks like a complete cluster, right? Because you failing, you're making mistakes, you're pissing people off, you're repairing relationships. So, um, John, I just want to say thanks again, man, for coming on. This is, uh, this is exactly the type of conversation we were hoping to document when we started it. And, uh, cheers to you Tuesday, Tuesday root beer. Cheers to you. And cheers to you. I, uh, I'll see you at the gym in the morning, my man. That sounds good. Bright and early. And thank you for having me on. This is, I was glad to be able to, to share. Awesome. Thanks so much, John. Thank you much. Take care. Take it easy, buddy. Yep. Bye. Bye.